0: What do you really need to know if you're going to purchase stocks? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to The Art of Investing. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and joining me today in the studio is Peter Maris, a Certified Financial Planner and President of the Resource Financial Group, a firm specializing in comprehensive financial planning and retirement planning. Peter, welcome to the show. Regular. Peter our audience is naive, yet they think they're quite sophisticated, so let's start with the basics. When an investor purchases a share of a stock, what exactly am I buying and what am I entitled to? Well, in layman's term, a share of stock is a
1: piece of ownership in a company. So when you own one share of a company's, could be IBM, it could be a, a local company, you actually have ownership in that stock moving forward. So you participate in the good times and the bad times, just like when you own your own practice. Obviously, on a much smaller scale, but it's still considered ownership in a company.
0: So let's look at a company like Apple. Apple is doing extremely well. I think it's $140, approximately a share. And let's say my wife says, Larry, I want to buy some Apple for our son and his account. How do I determine what's an appropriate price? I mean, to me, 140 bucks sounds pretty high, and uh, it's traded very high recently. So do I wait? Do I start using graphs to figure out where its low point is? Do I look at its PE? What should I do, Peter? Help me. Well, the first thing was when you buy a stock,
1: a lot of people think that they can determine the short-term movement in a stock, and no one can really do that. So when you look at a company like Apple, you have to look at it three, five years down the road has it performed in the past? Okay, Apple has done very, very well, off the charts well. So one person may say, well, it's gone up 100% per year plus for the last three years. Can it keep up that kind of momentum? And a rational person would say, no, nothing can double every year for an extended period of time. Secondly, look at the product line, the iPod, the Apple computer, very popular and getting more popular. But can it sustain the level of growth that it's had over the last three years. And, you know, you may come to an answer of no, but that'll have nothing to do with the company
0: making money. But can they keep up valuations? That's what's key, stock market valuations. All right. So you just brought that up. Tell me how a company is valued and how I can interpret that as a normal guy. Stocks fall into
1: two general categories, growth and value. Now, a company like Apple can be considered a growth stock because it's It's on the move. It's had uh, huge earnings. People have high expectations for it, and they're paying a premium for that stock. They'll pay extra for that stock because they think it'll make money over time. So that stock is considered a growth stock. If you look at a company, let's say a drug company right now, perhaps Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer is considered a value right now because it's priced low versus its relative history of how it's been priced. It's paying a very good dividend, and a lot of people think that it will do well in the future. So what you're doing is you're kind of buying it on sale right now, buying a company like Pfizer on sale because it's price low, it's paying a good dividend, and you hope for the future. Where a company like Apple, you're jumping on the train, it's already moving fast, but you're paying
0: for it. So both ways it sounds like we're still hoping. I mean, it sounds like we're gambling a little bit just legally, that we're, we're putting our money on Black 22 and hoping it continues to hit. Well, whenever you buy an individual stock, Larry, there is a little
1: more risk there, but there's a greater return. You can make a lot of money in an individual stock, and you can lose a lot of money. But that's why portfolio of stocks makes more sense. Uh, it's diversifying your risk. It's diversifying the rewards, diversifying industries, company size. So that's why everybody preaches diversification, diversification, diversification.
0: So with growth and value stocks, if you're going to diversify, how much of your portfolio, let's say, should be in growth stocks? How much should be in value stocks? How much should be in foreign stocks? How much should be in cash? It varies per investor. For me, Peter. For something like yourself? 45 years old. 45 years old, 20
1: years from needing your money. You may want to consider something like an 80% stock to bond portfolio, and of the 80%, consider 30% being the foreign markets. The cliche, the global markets, we have a flat world right now. They're true, especially when it comes to the financial markets. So a little heavier in international. And since value has done so well over the last seven years and growth haven't, you want to overweight growth right now as it's turning the corner to do better than value. Because over time, you have a growth stock or a value stock, they perform differently. So right now, it's, it's growth's turn to take over.
0: Is that just because growth has had a crummy year and so now the big money's flying into that or something magical is going to happen with the growth stocks?
1: Well, growth stocks have had a crummy six-year period, Larry. I think it's the market's way of punishing them for the dot-com mistake in some unwritten way. Since 2002, value stocks have crushed growth stocks, but that change to growth stocks looks like it's happening right now.
0: There's other ways of kind of labeling companies. There's small caps, mid caps, large caps. I'm sure there's other ones I don't know of, but can you define what those are? Small, mid, large cap in a
1: new category called giant is, refers to the capitalization of a company. As an example, a company like Microsoft or General Electric, those are giant or mega cap companies. Many shares that are traded widely and available everywhere across the United States. Smaller companies, like Apple Computer was in 1984, started out small in somebody's garage, started growing little by little. So when you invest in a company like GE, you're looking for one thing. You're looking for consistent returns, not a whole lot of risk, a regular dividend, and that's why you invest in a giant company stock. More security, less risk over time. The small company stocks have a lot greater chance of growing, of doubling over time because they're small companies. A new technology a change in the current technology, and these companies start out. So, you have more risk with a small company stock, but a lot more reward possibilities as well.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. I'm talking with Peter Maris, a certified financial planner and president of the Resource Financial Group, a firm specializing in comprehensive financial planning and retirement planning. We're talking about the bare bone basics stocks. Peter, what is the difference between a common stock and a preferred stock? Well, Larry, a common stock is what we've been
1: talking about. It's a share of ownership in a company. You participate in the upside and the downside over time, and you can make a lot of money or lose a lot of money with a common stock. A preferred stock is really its a hybrid. It's a combination of a stock and a bond. It pays a healthy dividend like a bond pays a healthy coupon, but it doesn't participate in the growth of the company over time. Preferred stocks are purchased for income and security of principle. The preferred stock, in the event of a liquidation, they have preferential treatment over common stockholders. So if a company goes under, people with preferred stocks will get paid before people with common stocks. So if I have a choice, should I go for preferred stock? If you need income and security of principle, preferred stock. If you're looking for long-term growth
0: and willing to take a little bit more risk, common stocks. All right, let's say I'm in the doctor's lounge and a doctor comes up to me and says, listen, I I just heard about this company in Vietnam. It's going public next week. It's going to revolutionize the technology field. It's going to be a sure thing, a sure solid triple. But it's only listed on the Singapore exchange. Can I buy that? I mean, can I call Charles Schwab and say, I'd like to buy that? Well, a lot of foreign
1: companies are listed on the United States exchange through what's called an ADR, American Depository Receipt. So when you're buying a company like a Dahmer Chrysler, that's an ADR. It's a German company, but it's traded here in the United States. So it makes it easier for you. You buy in the New York Stock Exchange. You buy through Schwab or whoever you use. You don't have to worry about getting registered in a foreign country, opening a brokerage account there, and trying to make heads or tails of the currency fluctuations. Is it possible? Yes. Is it possible for somebody like yourself? No, you'd have to look for an ADR to do that.
0: And then when I do buy stock, do I always get some nice, pretty pieces of paper? Well, in the old days, you know, that would be part of the
1: novelty of stocks. You'd buy 100 shares and you'd wait four, six weeks and in the mail would come a nice certificate. If it was Disney, it would have a picture of Mickey Mouse on there. If it was Coca-Cola, it would have a nice big Coca-Cola bottle. It's kind of gone by the wayside with the technology of the individual brokerage account. Most people don't take physical delivery of the certificates. They leave it in their brokerage account. You're entitled to the absolute same thing, but it helps through simplification and consolidation
0: of your investments. But if I wanted it, I could still get it. Absolutely. I could call them up and say, I want some of those pretty certificates. Absolutely. Because I know that there's companies out there that you can gift like one share to somebody and you actually give them the one share and it's framed and it looks pretty cool. Absolutely. A common thing is through make a gift to a child of a few shares of Disney,
1: have it issued, have it framed, put on their wall, and that kind of sets the tone for them to be interested in stocks and money over time. It's a great idea. And gets them to buy every Disney
0: product that they see. I think they're going to do that anyway, Larry. Peter, what is PE? In medicine it's called a pulmonary embolism. What is it in the financial world? PE ratio
1: stands for price over earnings. PE ratio price divided by earnings. When you have a high PE ratio, let's go back to Apple stock, has a very high P.E. ratio, you're paying a premium for that stock. When you have a low P.E. ratio, those are value stocks, and you're buying those on sale.
0: I know now that the homeowners, anything to do with house building, have P.E.s in the, like, 4s and 5s. And to me that would mean, wow, this one's on sale, and I should snap it up now before the P.E. goes up to 20. It's a possibility. I mean, we have an old saying that says,
1: beware of falling knives and when a P comes down from thirty as the home builders were down to four, some people may think it's a value, but it also be a falling knife. So when it you could go to, go to P, zero. Not to zero, but go down and stay down for a while. Right now the market's telling you that it doesn't like home building stocks if it's out to four. It's saying it's gonna be a long ride back up. So if you're patient and if you have confidence in the home building industry in the future, you may want to buy some, hold
0: tight and uh, know it's gonna be a long ride up. I mean, Warren Buffett believes in it. He bought a whole bunch of U.S. gypsum about a month ago. He may have bought it prematurely, but I got to believe that Warren knows something I don't know and can identify a good company versus just a crummy stock. And he's the
1: quintessential buy and hold investor. So he thinks this is going to be good, whether it's going to be in one year, two years or five years. He bought this company. He's going to hold on to it. He's had Coca-Cola for 50 years. Coca-Cola's gone through good times and bad times. He's never sold it. He simply held on to it. With that philosophy, you'll be okay if the company is a good company.
0: So how does one determine what's a good company? I can go on Yahoo, and I can research who owns the company, who runs the company. I can read their bios. I can see their pictures. I can see what they get paid. But I have no clue if it's a well-run company. All I know is what its reputation is. So how does a podunk doc like me figure out the difference between a good stock and a well-managed company
1: it's a great question larry because just because a company is a well-managed company or a good company it doesn't necessarily mean that the market's giving it credence and thinks the valuation is good great example is microsoft microsoft for a long time was making tons of money had billions of dollars in cash on their balance sheet and the stock market was not giving them any credit, any value. The stock didn't move for five years. Is Microsoft a good company? They're a great company. Were they a good stock during that period of time? No, they weren't. So it's very hard to determine a good company versus a good stock opportunity. And that's why the people that could determine this on a regular basis make a lot, a lot of money.
0: Peter, on that note, I'd like to thank you again for coming into the studio and educating us on the basics of stocks. You've been listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments or questions, please send your email to XM at reachmd.com and thank you for listening.